So today we're going to begin a new series, and I'm going to begin in an unexpected place. Uh, Lynn, go ahead and show that first image. This is a picture by Rembrandt of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, I have sworn publicly that I would never preach the book of Jeremiah, and that is true. That is never going to happen here, but we're getting close, and so I want to tell you a little bit about the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet sent to the city of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem was supposed to be the it place. It was the place where where heaven and earth meet. It was supposed to be the place where God's kingdom would come and reign forever. Except time and again in the Old Testament, the people of God forget him they choose idolatry. Jeremiah, in his book, he, he, he tells that the idolatry of Jerusalem is like adultery against God. The people, the city of Jerusalem, God's chosen people, they forget him and abandon him, and they are filled with sin. And into this sin, God sends the prophet of Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet. And uh, if you read all 50-plus chapters of Jeremiah, you'll be weeping too. (laughs) He's not very happy. He doesn't really want to be a prophet. Uh, I I know it's hard to tell in in the painting, but in the background is the city of Jerusalem burning. He's sent to speak to Jerusalem, to beg them to stop their idolatry and return to God. He's given this word of the Lord, and although he tries to hide it and shut it in, it becomes a fire in his own heart. He's unable to hold it in. And when he takes this message of the Lord to the people of Jerusalem, begging them to turn from their sinful ways, the people of Jerusalem repay him by throwing him in a cistern. I think we have an image of that too. The cistern wasn't completely dry. It was cake. It was filled with mud. You can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 38. The bottom was filled with mud. They throw Jeremiah in for this message from the Lord. And he begins to slowly sink. Before this, he's beaten. He's put in stocks. He's imprisoned. Like try to drown him, try to kill him in the mud and muck of this cistern. He's rescued. It says it takes 30 men to pull him out. Hopeless and helpless. Literally, Jeremiah is at the end of his rope. And that's when it happens. Go ahead, Lynn, show that next image. The city of Jerusalem is eventually sacked and destroyed by the kingdom of Babylon. It is a tragic, graphic, uh, the, the most painful way you can imagine. The city is reduced to ashes. The things of the temple, the elements of God's worship are taken and exported. Even some of the people, some of the prized possession of God are exported, removed from the city completely. And images likened to those of the Holocaust or like, I know it's hard for us to imagine this, but for the Jewish people, this would be equivalent to planes crashing into buildings. Are you with me? 
Before Babylon eventually climbs the walls and sacks the city, they starve the city to death. And in some of the most graphic details, there are stories of mothers cooking and eating their own children. And Jeremiah is on hand. He lives through it. He's a firsthand witness to the destruction that comes to Jerusalem. And like Jonah and Job before him, Jeremiah cries out to God. He records his grief, his pain in the book of lament, the book of lamentations. Let me read some of it to you. It's a, it's a little bit of extended reading, but I want you to get the full sense of what Jeremiah experiences as, as Jerusalem is destroyed. He says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He's led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again. All day long, he has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He's besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He's buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He's walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains, and though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall, and he has made my road crooked. He has hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He's dragged me off the path and torn me in pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me all day long. They sing their mocking songs. He's filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He's rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cried out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Chapter 3 of Lamentations, like the, like the previous chapters in Lamentations, is actually an acrostic poem. The verses in each stanza begin with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Literally, he says, from beginning to end, he's filled with pain. He uses words of helplessness and devastation. He says, I'm walled in, I'm bound in heavy chain. I've, I've had arrows shot deep into my heart. It's bitter and awful like chewing on gravel. The thought of my suffering, he says, and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. He talks about a wormwood and gall, which is this, this poisonous plant that causes extreme pain when eaten. And he uses it. He uses it to stress the seriousness and emotional intensity that he's feeling. And the images that draw up being thrown into the cistern in verse 54, he says, The water rose over my head and I cried out, This is the end. Jeremiah, watching the destruction of Jerusalem, is in over his head, the end of his rope. And if you'll permit a, a, a reference from the Princess Bride, he is in the pit of despair. You know what I'm talking about? I see some grins out there. 
When you read this language filled with agony and intensity, the question that, that, that rises to the surface, that draws us in, is, are you in over your head? Is this you? At Aspen Grove, man, I, like, I, I, I love my position to serve here, but I also hate it sometimes because sometimes by virtue of being the pastor, I get to know a little bit more of the pain. And this year, we've seen it all. We've, we've seen job loss and marriages in crisis. Uh, we've seen sickness and death. We've seen struggles with children. Not to mention issues of, of busyness and stress and anxiety. The word of our generation right now is overwhelmed. I'm just so overwhelmed. Everyone seems to be working at a frantic pace. Does any of this seem familiar? There is so much intensity and agony that even exist in this place, in our world today. Sometimes I listen to my own, like one of the things that's happening a lot now is just everybody's just overworking. Like don't point to the person you know who, who's doing this, but you know what I'm talking about? And what happens when you overwork is like this started, this, this thing that rises up out of your heart and your spirit is this thing that like too much is going out and not enough is coming back in. Do we, have any of you ever felt like that? If you have, then you know the pit of despair. You know what Jeremiah is feeling. And what's great about Jeremiah is like he doesn't hide it. He doesn't gloss over it, right? Like, like he lets it out. He lets it full blow. Like we don't get even like he says, I'm chewing a gravel. Like it feels like people are shooting arrows in my heart. Like, right? Like he is not holding it back. If you ask Jeremiah how he's feeling, he's not going to say, well, I'm fine. Right? Like he recognizes that this intensity of emotion and even sometimes pain and agony are just part of the experience. And he lets us know that so that we can all relate to it. Yet. This is an important yet. At the very nerve of agony, something happens to Jeremiah that's unexpected. Jeremiah, frankly, isn't prepared for it, and neither are we, the reader. Let me show you what it says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. Here's what Jeremiah says. Yet, I still dare to, what's that word? I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning, and I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. When I was a kid in the Church of Christ, we used to sing this a cappella song called The Steadfast Love of the Lord. You guys know this song? Like two heads. I'm not going to sing it because I'm shy. 
talks about the mercies never ceasing. It says they're new every morning. His mercies begin afresh each, each morning. That word mercies is the Hebrew word kased, and it means kindness or loving kindness. In fact, the majority of the time in the Old Testament, it's translated unfailing love. When it talks about mercy, it means love that responds to human need in an unmerited or unexpected way. It's, it's compassion or forgiveness shown to someone who could, could punish you or, or harm you otherwise. Sometimes mercy seems to withhold back what is deserved, and other times mercy gives or offers what is undeserved. I met with somebody this week from our church who's just been in this season of pain. They've experienced loss and, and struggle and, you know, like the, they're full on in the pit. When you're full on in the pit, you're full on. You know, like you just feel it, like the walls are closing in. And, and I was praying with this person and, and just trying to be a friend and listen to them. And, and I mean, it was just agony. In a moment that surprised this person and surprised me, kind of in the midst of, of all of kind of going through, and you, this happened, and you won't believe what this happened, and then this happened, which we really weren't ready for. In the midst of all of that, this person rose up and said, but God has not abandoned me, and it's all going to work out. And I thought, where did that come from? You know, if you look back in Lamentations, those few verses where Jeremiah says, yet I will hope still, I will dare to hope, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, where he says that, like, that is the only, that is the only positive words in all of Lamentations. But in a moment, in an unexpected moment, something breaks through the fog. Do you see that? Something broke through the cloud of agony and distress and pain. This person that I talked to this week, like in a moment of bravery, like courage I, I seldom seen, they were able to tap into something else. In the midst of the desperation, sinking into the mud and muck, they remembered the mercies of God. This is an important exercise for all of us. Last year around this time, I was super blessed to, um, uh, to, to take a sabbatical season. So uh, I know you think ministers don't do anything anyway, but in November, I really didn't do anything. Uh, in fact, Lynn, I think maybe I have a picture. One of the not doing things that I didn't do um, was I got to go to a, a monastery in Kentucky. Uh, it's called the Abbey of Gethsemane. Uh, it's the place where uh, Thomas Merton did a bunch of his writing. If you know, if you know Merton, that's, that's deep wells, deep pools. And uh, at, this, uh, at this particular uh, a monastery, except for, for prayer and scripture reading, uh, they live lives in complete silence. And so I know what you're, you're already thinking. This is a bad fit for me. I know. I know. 
But on purpose, I had some friends and spiritual mentors pour into me and said, hey, while you're doing this, why don't you go just for a season? And, and we want you to go to this monastery where they just practice complete silence. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, I guess I can, I'll write some teachings. I'll, I'll catch up on some reading and some books. And they said, no, 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 no. We, do, we don't want you to do anything. We don't want you to write. We don't want you to read unless maybe the Lord leads you to that place. But mostly we just want you to sit and listen. And I said, well, you don't know me. I'm not good at that. I don't like that. I want to be going. If, if I have a, time, a, a sabbatical, I want to be, don't you know, I just want to be productive and produce something. And they said, no, 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 no. That's not what this space is for. That's not what this season is for. The purpose of this space is to listen, to soak in, be filled again by the spirit and presence of God. And so for four days, I went. Except for maybe some, some prayer time with the, the brothers Spent the time completely in silence, silent meals, silent everything. And I just sat and waited. Sometimes I would go for a walk, but even then I was just, it was an exercise in waiting. It was an exercise in, in kind of putting everything else uh, away and somehow again tuning my ears to the Lord. to remember again the faithful love of the Lord never ends, that his mercies never cease. And you know what I received in that space? Acceptance, love, forgiveness. I was washed and reminded of the mercies of God. And I was reminded that they were available to me in every moment. If I could only just listen. So, my goal and intention for this next series is to invite you on a spiritual retreat. Uh, this is a little bit different for me, and you guys know me. I'm kind of a text guy. I'd rather just walk through the text, and some of you are even thinking, hey, we just finished 1 Corinthians. It's time to do 2 Corinthians. And I'm telling you, like, yeah, I, I have 2 Corinthians all outlined, but everything in my prayer life has said, hey, it's really time for this church to once again enter into a season of mercy, to rise out of the fog and experience again the steadfast love of the Lord to soak in it and remember it. And so for this series, I'm gonna, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more uh, meditative. And, and in fact, I'm going to give you some homework, one piece of your homework, and, and we'll actually dig into it a little bit more later, is I want you to be merciful for the next few weeks. I want you to, on purpose, practice mercy. Matthew even says it. Jesus in Matthew says, blessed are the merciful, 
So I want you, again, as a part of your homework, to find your identity as a mercy giver. But even more than that, I want you to somehow, I, I want to raise you up out of the fog to experience the mercies of God that are new every morning. Jeremiah goes on in a few more, a few more verses in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 25 and 26. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who, what's the word? Search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. He goes on in a few other verses to talk about sitting alone in silence or even lying face down. It all talks about a posture of of physically positioning yourself to receive what God has to offer you. And my challenge to you, the first piece of real homework that I want you to start practicing this week is every single morning, I just want you to put it on your calendars, every single morning before you move into the hustle and bustle of your day, I just want you to wait and be still. What I've learned even as I'm getting ready for this, uh, this teaching series is I'm horrible at this. But I've, what I've found too is even in, in simple times of walking from my, uh, you know, from my house or to my car, in my car, to from my house to work, like even in those moments, what I've discovered is that my mind is running a thousand miles a minute. What I've discovered is that my mind is already, like from the moment I get up, my mind is already consumed with all of the details, all of the struggles, all of the, the difficulties and discouragements that I face. Like my mind is soaked in all of these things. And if I could just stop and be still for a moment, what I found is even in, in a few simple moments, like I don't even necessarily want you to set a clock. Because what I found is even from my my kitchen table to my car, I can be washed in the mercies of God. That even in those moments, I can receive something good and beautiful. And if we open ourselves to the mercy, to God's loving kindness that he makes available to us, like, like we'll start to receive mercies in all new ways. I've, I've received his mercies this week in the laughter of children and simple moments of nature, even in the few steps between my office and my car. Like, like I found these moments to be incredibly rich and refreshing. Did you know that, that God offers his presence, his refreshment to you in every moment of the day if we would only just stop? listen. So my homework for you and something that I've shared with the staff is, is a simple question. As you sit and listen and wait, how has God shown you his mercy, his loving kindness this week? You got it? Maybe take a picture of it. Write that question down. Because I don't want this just to be a rhetorical question, but I put this question on you because I want to hear your response. Email the church. You can find our email address. You can email me. You can text me your response if you have my number. But I want you to begin to seek out an answer to this question. How has God shown you his mercy, his loving kindness this week? Because this premise, this series is really built on a couple of premises. One premise is that his mercies actually are new every morning. Do you believe that? 
that God wants to pour into your life, that God has something to offer your life right now, and that these mercies, like there's no clock on them, that they don't somehow expire or run out. It says his mercies never cease. That they are available to us, not in just some distant future, but right here, right now, even in this moment. Maybe you received some of God's loving kindness as our teenagers led us in worship. That God has these mercies for us. He wants to pour them into us. And the second premise really is, despite the pit of despair that maybe you are in, in fact, by virtue of my position, I know some of you are in it. Despite the pit of despair, dare to hope again. Despite the pit of despair, to have courage to hope again. I love what it says just a little further down. Jeremiah says the, maybe the most courageous thing of his whole life, sinking into the cistern. He says, no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. No one. Think about that. No one. Maybe in your struggles and your difficulty, you think somehow you're out of his reach. You're not. Maybe because you think of some sin or something that you've done, somehow you've exempted yourself like No one, no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. So in just a moment, we're going to have a time of communion. It's part of our tradition as a church. And for us, it's a response space. It's sacred space. And uh, I I know maybe you're a guest here with us today. So we we might do this a little bit different than, than a way that you've expected. But we have three tables set up around the room. And after I pray, I'm just going to give you a chance to go and, and experience the elements of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. There's a simple cup filled with juice that represents his blood and a simple tray filled with, with a cracker that represents his, his flesh. And the, the exercise is just to simply remember that the body and blood of Jesus Christ was given for you. Given as a sacrifice to wash you clean of all sin and draw you again to God. And so it's a place for us of response and commitment. And I pray that this morning it would be a place where you would begin again to receive the loving kindness of God. So let me ask again. Are you at the end of your rope? Who here needs the hope, the restoration that can only come from the Lord? I invite you to sit and wait. I invite you to look and long again for the mercies of God, to enter into a season of mercy together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this crew, for their for their hearts, and God, I thank you for the ways that you're working in Aspen Grove. 
God, frankly, sometimes I'm, I'm just this kind of textual guy that just I just want to get into the text and talk about what the text says. But, Father God, to, to do that, and, and we can do that sometimes and just rob the text of this, this, this thing that you actually are doing and want to do in our lives right now. God, I believe that, that, that you aren't somewhere distant, some, somehow disconnected from what's having, happening. But, God, I believe that even in our darkest moments that you are with us and that you want to pour your loving kindness into our life. It's a gift that you offer to us new each and every day. And so, Father God, help us as we enter into a season of mercy, as we dare to hope again. Help us to receive the kind of life, the kind of loving kindness that comes from you. It's a kindness that began with the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the sacrifice of your son Jesus for us. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.